This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. What I'd like to pick up on and what Father White had emphasized, the two words when he talked about growth and movement. And so on this last piece, looking at the, the certain opportunities and challenges on pastoral leadership, it kind of goes back to the piece of we understand that abstractly in terms of the growth and movement that's occurring, but we often don't kind of see it when it's happening to us and the growth that's required on my part and the movement that's required on my part or in my parish. So this afternoon, I'm going to move through some of these rather quickly. There are four general areas. The first is kind of on the opening, closing, and the size of parishes. The second is on parish priests and deacons. The third on lay pastoral ministers in the church. And the fourth on communicating within a parish. Is it changing? No. There it is. Opening closes and the size of parishes. Some of these are items that Melissa or Mark touched on a little earlier. This is a, a graphing of the number of parishes across the United States. And what we see is back in the 1960s, there was about 17,000 plus parishes across the country. We have this growth for about uh, 20, 30 years into about 1990 of uh, ever increasing number of parishes and then a consequent growth over the next 20 years of a decline in the number of parishes. A lot of this change is occurring because of this migration of Catholics from the Northeast and the Midwest into the South and West. And so we have the opening of new parishes across the South and the West. But it's also this migration of the Catholic population out of the, the dense urban core into a more suburban setting. So we would find here in the Philadelphia area, again at this point, a lot of parishes being opened up in the suburbs, while the parishes existing in the urban core are getting more and more empty. So the number of new Catholic parishes being established each year, we can see this across the years, that there are always parishes opening up. So even in the most recent years, we have 50, 60, 90 parishes each year being opened up. These are new parishes across the country. And the size of these parishes is changing. So when we look just in the last 10 years, from 2000 to 2010, so the number of parishes with 200 or fewer households has declined. Uh, the number with uh, 200 to 550 has declined. A little uptick for those 550 to 1,200, a bigger upturn for those that are more than 1,200. When we hear about the media addressing the uh, megachurches on that part, the reality of what's often left out in those media stories is the largest number of mega churches in America are Catholic parishes. A mega church is usually defined, varies from 1,000 to 2,000 people on a given weekend. And so overwhelmingly, Catholic parishes across the country meet the definition of mega churches. And we saw this a little earlier with Melissa and Mark. When we ask people in the parish uh, surveys that Kara does with their satisfaction in the parish life, we find that overwhelmingly people are satisfied. 
So here, overall satisfaction within the parish, 58% of all respondents say they're satisfied, another, uh, that's excellent, another 36% that is good. We ask you about masses and liturgies. Again, overwhelmingly, people say they are satisfied, that's excellent or very good. We ask in the celebration of sacraments, we get the same thing. And some of this, again, is as Melissa had highlighted, is often a piece of kind of self-selection. People are going to parishes that they prefer. They're driving past one parish and going on to another. When we look at the next area, which is in terms of the priests and deacons. Hopefully this isn't going to fall on the floor. Uh, a year ago, there was a large story in the Wall Street Journal citing Kara data. And the theme of the story was the seminaries are full and there's a waiting list to, to enter Catholic seminaries. So we contacted the Wall Street Journal and we said that's not really what the data is showing. <laughs> that we're not aware of any seminary that actually has a waiting list and much less if the seminary happens to be full, it's because we've closed over half of the seminaries. So this is the green bars what I'd like you to pay attention to. And the green bars, the number of men in theology education, the graduate education. So these are the ones in the last few years before ordination. What we find is that number basically from starting in the 1980s is relatively stable. There's a slight decline, but then we start around 2000 or thereabouts seeing a slight uptick. And that has continued. There is no great change here other than the decline has stopped and that there's now a slow, very small increase in the number of men in seminaries, major seminaries, and the number of men being ordained each year. The contrast is when we look to religious, this is on diocesan uh, seminaries, when we look to religious communities of men, the decline is continuing. It is getting smaller each year, though it is starting to stabilize somewhat. Another big change that we've seen in the priests and the composition of who are the diocesan priests is in terms of where they are coming from. The pre-Vatican II priests, those in, uh, 70 and older, uh, we had 91% what were native born in the United States, 7% from Europe or, or Canada, and just 2% from outside of Western Europe, Canada. The Vatican II priests, those in their 50s and 60s, this has shifted a little bit we get a, a few less from Europe, a few more international from Latin America, Asia, Africa. And the post-Vatican II priests, now these are those who are in their 30s and 40s or younger. And we get to this grouping, only 70% are born in the United States. Another 9% from Europe or Canada, but 21% now are from Latin America, Asia, or Africa. So this is quite a change. And what we have is this is across the board that we can expect on into the near future that about a quarter of the diocesan priests are going to have been born elsewhere than the United States. And that elsewhere is going to be less and less Europe or Canada and more and more Latin America, Asia, and Africa. The same holds true when we look at who those men are in uh, major seminaries. And so a quarter of all the seminarians right now across the United States are also foreign born, both 
by more recent immigration, but others are they came with their families when they were small children and have grown up in the United States. Among that quarter of the foreign-born seminarians, 62% uh, belong to U.S. dioceses or studying for U.S. dioceses. And another block are U.S. religious orders. And even in that block, the number gets a little distorted that uh, a huge block of those are actually Jesuit scholastics who are studying here in the United States but will not be staying. They are here purely for studies. So that number shrinks a little if you take them out, which is a sizable group. And so where do the international priests come from? Here is the listing that we have uh, of where they uh, uh, grew up and were trained. And what we find is back in 1999, not that long ago, 15 years ago, the largest grouping of international priests were from Ireland. And they were basically an older group. But over the last 12, 15 years, we see this has changed so that the largest group now is from India, almost 1,000 priests, then the Philippines, Nigeria, then comes Ireland, and then Mexico, Poland, Vietnam, Colombia. We have a number of dioceses across the United States today that the majority of diocesan priests are foreign-born. So in the Diocese of Houston, which has over 400 priests, over 200 of them are foreign-born. And among those international priests, there's a distinction between those who are foreign-born but grew up in the United States, their families had immigrated here, and so they did their training and preparation here and were ordained here. And then a very sizable group that did their, uh, grew up elsewhere, did their seminary training elsewhere, and have come to the United States after ordination. And so we get some cultural tensions and challenges between those two groupings. And so the, the history of the American church is a history of international priests. This is not at all unusual. And so in the early and middle parts of the 19th century, we have waves of Catholic immigrants coming and bringing their priests with them. Uh, once we move into the 20th century, the only sort of wave of foreign-born priests coming into the country, not with an immigrant group, were primarily the uh, FBIs, the foreign-born Irish who continued to come. But it is only really from about 1950 to 1970 that the United States was an exporting country for priests. Up until 1950, we were, were primarily importing priests to serve the growing Catholic population. And again, that has changed now uh, after around 1970. Here's a quick slide on the number of diocesan priests and permanent deacons. And what we see is the, the steady increase in the number of deacons across the country serving in parishes and other ministries. And we have down, if things don't change dramatically one way or the other, uh, somewhere probably within the next 10 years, the lines will cross. There will be more permanent deacons than there will be diocesan priests in the church. And this presents a whole array of questions. The diaconate is, uh, depends a lot on the particular bishop of that diocese and then on the pastors of the diocese in terms of how deacons are used, the extent of their uh, authority and their responsibilities within the parish or diocese. But the reality is, is over the next several years, 
we will see that there are more deacons than there are diocesan priests. And that has going to change the way we just think of ordained leadership ministry within the church itself. At Cairo, we've asked over these uh, parish surveys uh, questions in terms of uh, people's attitudes about church leaders and parish life. And so these are the folks responding uh, somewhat or strongly agreeing with it. So on the whole, parish priests do a good job. 90% basically are in agreement with that over the years. Catholic parishes are too big and impersonal. About 40%, two out of every five Catholics think that we're too big and impersonal. Most priests don't expect the laity to be leaders, just followers. Again, this has gone from about two in five to, to almost three in five of people responding on that way. But then also hand in hand with that goes this other question we've just recently added, most Catholics don't want to take on leadership roles in parishes. And we have about two-thirds of people agreeing with that. And so we have a sense of both that uh, people's sensibilities that the uh, parish, the pastor, is not expecting the laity to be leaders, but also the leader, the laity themselves, don't expect themselves to take on leadership. Then we've asked a number of questions about in terms of with the fewer priests, what are some of the options that are out there and what do you think about them and what would be acceptable to you as a Catholic in dealing with a fewer number of priests available? So when we talk about sharing a priest with one or more other parishes, about 90% of the folks say that would be acceptable. Merging two or more nearby parishes into one parish, again, about almost 90% find that acceptable. Bringing in a priest from another country to lead the parish, the international priest, again, a similar number find that to be an acceptable way. Having a deacon or a layperson run the parish with visiting priests for sacraments, and this drops a little bit more to about three quarters. Reducing the number of Saturday and Sunday masses, again, down to 70%. Uh, having a communion service instead of mass sometimes, this is starting to drop closer to 60%, find this acceptable. Not having a resident pastor, but only a, a lay parish administrator and visiting priest. And this drops to about half of the folks finding that to be acceptable. We get all farther down, reducing the number of masses to fewer than once a week. Now this gets to less than half. Closing the parish. No one likes this, uh, pretty much. About 30% think that's the way to go. And then we asked in particular, not having a priest available to, vi to visit the sick. Again, very few find this to be an acceptable resolution. And not having a priest available to administer the last rites for the dying, even smaller amount. And so we find folks want a priest as the leader of a parish. There's this clearly desiring this. They're willing to look at different ways of combining parishes or sharing that leadership in some way, uh, but also in terms of the particular pastoral ministry. So visiting the sick, taking care of those in hospitals, those become items that everybody wants to have the priest there and doing it. And so as we look at this, a part of the challenge is simply, uh, as Father White was talking about growth and movement, how do we begin to rethink and restructure our parish ministry. 
in ways that deal with this reality and this change in leadership. Recently, I was down in the Diocese of Fort Worth, Texas, and there, there's just phenomenal growth in the church. And one of the things we noted there, or they noted, was that over the last 10, 15 years, the diocese has doubled in size, from about three, 400,000 to 700,000. Over that same period of time, the number of baptisms have gone from about 6,000 to 7,000. Not 6,000 to 10 or 11, but only to 7,000. Part of when Mark Gray was talking about the missing baptisms and the decline, we looked at that. And the parishes there are packed. They are just huge parishes across the diocese. And one little insight is uh, commenting about parking, that people couldn't even get a parking space to come to Mass. And the pastor said, it doesn't make any difference. I bought land, put in 200 new parking spaces, and people still complain just as much. And the reality that a place like Fort Worth, this would not be as much a reality in Philadelphia in the Northeast, but a place like Fort Worth is having, is quite possibly young Catholic families can't even get into the church to get to make contact to have their child baptized. And if you start to look at the question that way, it's very different from a point that somehow the parents are indifferent to their child's baptism. And how do we address that? From the parents are very desirous, but physically, they can't get in to even meet somebody to figure out how to have their child baptized. Very different set of questions. And I think it's this way as we look at these changes when they come to us in our parishes, how do we begin to reimagine and restructure how we contact and engage our parishioners? So with lay ministry, here in this slide is looking at just over the last 20 years, and we see on the blue bar with the number of uh, diocesan priests. And we've gone from about 32,000 down to 26,000. The number of permanent deacons from 10,000 up to 17,000. And then lay ecclesial ministers. This is generally defined as someone who is working at least half time and compensated in the parishes in some formal designated role. And so lay ecclesial ministers have gone from 21,000 to almost 38,000. What's interesting is over the last 20 years, the ordained ministers, the priests and the deacons, has remained about the same. And the data would suggest that this number will be about the same, fairly you know, balancing one for the other, deacons for priests, at least in the near future. The real growth and change has been in the number of lay ecclesial ministers. And so over the last 20 years, part of it is we actually have more people ministering to this Catholic population than we did 20 years ago. We're not always conscious of how strong the growth in lay ecclesial ministries have been. But when we look at the lay ecclesial ministers and start to look at the age of parish staff and volunteers, what's notable here is taking those top two areas, those 60 and 69 and 70 and older, that 37% of the current parish staff and volunteers, 37% are age 60 and older. Uh, smart, only 4% are under age 30, 12% under age 40. When we look in terms of the race and ethnicity of parish staff and volunteers, we see about 81% are uh, white Anglos, 
about 13% are Hispanic, uh, then 3% African American, 3% Asian, 1% uh, Native American. And we ask in terms of their ecclesial status and, and gender for the parish staff, about half are lay women. Uh, lay men are about one-fifth of the grouping. And then we have diocesan priests, religious priests, deacons, uh, brothers and sisters involved. Now, Kara has been tracking every year uh, the data from all ministry training programs in the United States, offered by universities, by parishes, by dioceses, and the rest. So as we collect all this data, we can uh, give a, a, a basic estimation of how many people are in these training programs each year. So this chart shows that enrollment in lay ecclesial ministry formation programs over the last 25 years. And so it peaked around 2000, 2002, 2003. The decline follows somewhat in terms of with the sex abuse crisis and all the publicity with it and changes in the diocese. It also follows in there a lot of the financial hits that diocese took, not necessarily from the sexual abuse crisis, but uh, internally in terms of the economy changing and the rest. So that a number of programs disappeared about 10 years ago, but we still currently have about 20,000 uh, people in lay ministry formation programs each year across the country. We asked folks, you know, when they felt called to ministry or service by generation. And so those in the oldest grouping, those at 70 and older, the pre-Vatican II group, uh, they say basically around the age of 34 is when they felt called or inclined to, to work in ministry in the church. We go to the Vatican II, those in the 50s and 60s, that came around the age uh, 30, 31. And then the post-Vatican II group, it gets a little younger, around 24, a few years after college. And we look at the millennial group, those 30 and younger, they, re they record that uh, they felt a call to ministry around age 16 while they were in high school. And so we have a change here going by generation to generation of just when people feel this call to ministry. Now some of this is simply the changes in the church. You know, if you're 70 years old now, if you felt a call to ministry and it wasn't to priesthood or religious life 50 years ago, there weren't a lot of options. So that accounts for some of this. But it's also this dynamic that people are coming to ministry at a younger and younger age. And so we look at the age distribution of those who are within these ministry training programs. Uh, we see that those 60 and older are 12%, a much smaller grouping compared to the 37% that are already out there in ministry. And then the other change is that fully a third of those who are currently in training are those who are under 30 or under, or under 39 in, in age. So there is a large, younger cohort of men and women coming and seeking to serve in the church this way. The racial and ethnic background of those currently in preparation is also quite different. So that the white Anglo part of the population is about 49% half the Hispanic Latino is about 43%, and then about 3% or so for African Americans or Asian Americans, uh, other groupings. And so those who are coming through the ministry formation program really look much more like the church as it is across the country. 
And when we ask in terms of their backgrounds, we see that those in the preparation, 58% are lay women, 40% are lay men, small number who are religious brothers or sisters. And so the, the notable piece here is the, the increasing number of lay men who are showing up in ministry training programs and coming to work in the church. The challenge we have is that culturally, uh, the current church leadership can be very different than the current church population. So whether we're looking in terms of uh, the priest, the deacons, or the men and women religious, uh, what we have is they tend to be far more white and Anglo uh, than the Catholic population at large. The lay ecclesial ministers, those who are currently in ministry, uh, reflects pretty much that same dynamic. And so we have also a challenge. It's not really, I think, on a practical level a parish. It's not just the graying priesthood and sisters and brothers. It's also the point of the graying lay ecclesial ministers that there are a larger number of young people coming and looking for church ministry and how open are we and receptive are we to incorporating them into the parish ministry itself. And this comes up on one of these questions we ask in terms of the diversity of the parish is reflected in the diversity of the parish staff. And on these earlier items, if you remember, we had high levels of agreeing and strongly agreeing at you know, 80, 90%, saying they're happy with the parish, happy with the sacraments, happy with the liturgy. When we ask on this part, in terms of the parish reflects the diversity, the staff reflects the diversity of the parish, there is a, a drop in that. People still basically saying, no, this, is, this fits and this works, but it is uh, notably different from their satisfaction on other levels. And quickly, just a thing about communicating within the parish. Here are a couple of quick slides found very interesting is asking people about the weekly parish bulletin. And so the frequency of reading this. And so folks who uh, uh, attend every week, 37% say they read it. Uh, who attend less than weekly but monthly, 31%. And even those who attend just periodically during the year, about 30% say they read the church bulletin. And then we asked them also in terms of the diocesan newspaper or magazines, do they read that? And what we find is that the oldest group, again, those 70 and older, half or more say they regularly read that. Uh, when we get down to all the younger groupings, it's basically about uh, one-fifth or one-quarter would be reading the diocesan papers. And here's a great little slide. We asked them if you would prefer to get your diocesan news online rather than in print. And among those who read the diocesan newspaper, 68% said no, they disagreed, they'd rather get it in print. Only 6% said online. But among those who do not read the diocesan newspaper, 13% said they'd rather not read it online. Uh, <laughs> but what we have found here, and in a couple other items, is that People basically, in terms of the trustworthiness right now today, people trust what they read in their parish bulletin and they trust what they read in their diocesan newspaper. 
And that trust or confidence in what they're reading declines with either the parish website or the diocesan website. And on this chart, you can see way, way down there in terms of regular secular newspapers. Now, part of this is also accountable to that if you go visit most parish websites or diocesan websites, they're awful. You know, we, we've done questionnaires on it. Why, would you, why do you go to your parish website to find out what time mass is and what the name of the pastor is? You know, why do you go to the diocesan website to find out where the parish is? You know, or what might be in my area on that part. And what's the number one reason to go to the Bishop's Conference website is to check the daily readings on that part. So people go, but the traffic comes for like one or two pieces of information and then they leave. And if you go, as I do every now and then, check just a whole variety of parish or diocesan websites, there isn't always that much more there. And it's a, it's a missed opportunity to be doing some evangelizing, some reaching out, uh, some of that welcoming or inviting that Father White had spoken about. And so this was just asking people how often they use these different uh, websites or items. And again, the, the parish bulletin and the diocesan newspaper, for as much as we may disparage those, are actually the vehicles that are most utilized. And I think the real challenge is, is how do we make our presence on the web more inviting and more useful? It's not that people don't want to go there, but when they go there, they don't find much. A while back, the University of Notre Dame in one of their centers uh, did a study on Catholic giving. And I don't want to go back and rehash some of what uh, Chuck Zeck had presented earlier, but there was a couple of interesting questions that they raised, and they were asking among uh, the whole population across the United States, and then divvied up between evangelical Protestants, mainline Protestants, and Roman Catholics. And the first was, in terms of in your parish or church, is there an emphasis on vision and opportunities for spiritual growth? And I think this would, this would be the piece that Father White was talking about. Is there an emphasis on this vision, this movement uh, going forward, opportunities to participate and to be engaged as part of a community? Evangelical Protestants, 63% said yes. Mainline, 62%. Catholics, 41%. Quite a difference. Then the, another question was, do you, in your parish or your church, is there an emphasis about needs and scarcity? Is there an emphasis about we need more money, we have a deficit? Is there an emphasis about the roof is leaking and it has to get repaired? Is there an emphasis uh, about somehow we're about to go bankrupt? And so the sense of it's money, 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 we need something. And here, we found that among evangelical Protestants, only about 21% said yes. Mainline Protestant, a little higher, 28%. But among Catholics, 46%. And so what we see here is just in terms of what do people hear, walk away as a perceived message from the parishes, is more often than not, it's we need money, everything's falling apart, we need you to take care of things. And is that invigorating and exciting when you leave on Sunday? Or, on the contrast, we have great opportunities. We have things for you to participate. We are happy for you to be here. Here's where we're going in the future. What do people hear Sunday after Sunday as they come to, to the parish? 
this same survey done by Notre Dame asked uh, in terms of how well does your parish, does it do an excellent job in communicating its mission? Evangelical Protestants, 49%, mainline, 32 Catholics, 18 in communicating its mission. And a lot of this is simply asking people, what's the mission? What's the point of your parish? What's your parish doing? And are people able to respond quickly and say, oh, my parish is about this and that? Or do they say, I don't know? And then the other part, one of the fourth question they asked them was feeling a part of the planning of the vision and mission of the parish. And again, here, the evangelical process is not real high, 25%, mainline 16, but again, the Catholics notably lower in terms of feeling a part of the planning and the vision and mission of the parish. Now, the Notre Dame study was looking at this in terms of giving amounts. And surprise, surprise, the giving amounts go right in line with these bars. So in terms of if people are aware of the mission, if they see opportunities and a vision, people tend to give a lot more than if they're constantly harangued about maintenance and having a deficit, um, and if they don't feel that they're a part of the direction of the parish. And this is uh, one final slide where in asking in terms of leadership, I feel I have a role in the decision-making of my parish. Again, these are the same group of people that say 80, 90%, they love the pastor, they love the liturgy, they love the sacraments, you know, everything about their parish. But when we come back to the diversity and we come back to this decision-making part, we finally find a great difference. And here we find some of the lowest levels uh, going from uh, 14 to 20% saying they strongly agreed that they had a role in their parish. But almost a majority going down the line saying they somewhat agree that they have it. But what's most notable is that the strongly agree and disagree have become notable, those uh, blue and uh, red bars. That on all these other tables when we were asking questions, uh, those were very tiny, insignificant pieces. So that people just don't feel that they have a part of the, uh, uh, the decision-making and vision of the parish. So strategies for the parish and diocese is one is looking at uh, creative ways to use a Sunday bulletin, the diocesan newspaper, to communicate vision and opportunities. Simply ask yourself, how do we communicate that? Do we have a vision statement that's uh, you know, on the front, front of the parish bulletin and that's it? Or do we have little updates and explanations that we run occasionally? Do we put it on the parish website? Uh, creative ways to use the Sunday bulletin, diocesan newspaper, for planning and engagement. How do we start to ask people or engage people? And it is, it's not necessarily that everybody wants to come to the parish council meeting, but they want to have some sort of input or at least awareness, or at least that people are interested in what they have to think. Maybe they'll, they won't say a word, but at least you express some interest uh, in what they think and believe. And so, and I think an important part within a parish, not only with the pastor, with the whole parish staff, is how can we emphasize the vision and the opportunities rather than just paying the bills? It's just deadly, and we see this again and again and again. When a parish gets into this mindset or mode that somehow we just gotta pay these bills, it's you're digging yourself into a deeper hole. People respond and are far more generous to when they, they see things framed in terms of opportunities, vision, the future movement forward. 
So I think part of our challenges in the local parish leadership is recognizing that we ourselves as parish leaders do not necessarily look like the church we're leading. That's a reality. The church we are leading is a little more diverse and mixed than we are as leaders. Are we conscious of that and how to start to address that as best we are able in our circumstances? Uh, and also it's a point of how do we open up those opportunities for younger people, for different cultural ethnic groups to participate within the parish itself, to have some voice and claim in the life of the parish. Thank you.